The reading today comes from the book of Exodus, chapter 20, verses 4 to 6, and the Gospel of John, chapter 9, verses 1 to 6. Book of Exodus, chapter 20, verses 4 to 6. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above, or on the earth beneath, or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but sowing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. Gospel of John, chapter 9, verses 1 to 6. Jesus heals a man born blind. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. After saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Word of the Lord. You can run from your past, but you can't hide from it. You can run, but you can't hide I grew up from around grade six without a dad. You know, before that, obviously, you know, I, 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 my dad was in my life, and my, both my, my, my mom and my dad tried to save their marriage by coming to Canada to, to start over. But after about a few years, my dad decided to go back to Korea. And from then on, I realized that I didn't have a dad in my life. Throughout my teenage years and my young adult years, I I knew this was part of who I was. But at the same time, I said, you know what? I don't care. It doesn't matter that I don't have a dad because I have other people in my life who can support me. So I kind of put that behind me to say, you know what? It's okay. My life is good. I have uh, other male role models and I have my heavenly father. So it's all good. For the last few weeks, we've been looking at the importance of an integrative faith, that faith and our emotional maturity are interconnected and need to be integrated. This week, we're going to talk about our past, our emotional baggage. Fun, huh? And I'm sure you've come across someone who carry their emotional baggage with them wherever they go. And, you know, some of us do a better job of hiding it. Some of us may have dealt with it pretty well. But there are many of us, including myself, who try to forget it, to, to repress it, or to put it away in the attic of our memory banks and of our lives so that we don't have to deal with it. In our New Testament passage today, we hear about the story about the disciples who come across a blind man from birth. They ask Jesus the question, Rabbi, who sinned this man or his parents that he was born blind? And if you look at the question by the disciples, it is already assumed that 
what has happened to this blind man was because of his sin. It wasn't a question of whether or not his blindness was due to sin. That was a given. The question was, whose fault was it? Was it the sins of his parents or was it the sin of this man who was born blind? You know, it's one thing to lose your sight due to some accident in life, but to be born blind meant that it must have been something or someone's sin that had caused it. And the disciples, uh, the disciples were expressing a common understanding that an ailment that, like blindness before birth was a sign of a punishment or curse that was placed upon them. It's very similar to the saying that many of us know, that the sins of our, you know, the saying, the sins of our forefathers. So where does this idea come from? We get this idea from our origin story of Adam and Eve. God created all things to be good, but Adam and Eve sinned, and the rest is history, as it were. We read in our Old Testament passage from this morning that even in the Ten Commandments, God himself says something very similar, that if we worship idols, God is a jealous God, and he will punish the children for the sins of their parents to the third and fourth generation. This concept was also part of what the Pharisees thought and taught. They would later accuse the blind man in John chapter 9, 34, and say to him, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us, you sinner? You sinner is, is my, my own little um, commentary added to that. This idea of the sins of our forefathers and inherited sin was not only part of the understanding of the Jewish faith, but also the ancient Greek religion, where they believed that the mills of the gods grind slowly, even to children's children and to those who are born after them. We also feel the weight of this concept in our own Christian history uh, from Augustine. Augustine was the originator of this concept that we are born with sin that we inherit the sins of our, our parents, which goes all the way back to Adam. And so in many ways, all of us are born with sin and inherit it. And this is why we need Jesus to break the cycle of sin and the passing down of sin. You know, no one ever told me that the wedding planning can ruin your wedding. Everything about your family comes out in the wedding planning, doesn't it? All the expectations, all the broken relationships, all the drama. How can something that's supposed to be so good bring up so much crap in a family? Think about just the wedding seating chart. Trying to put together people who don't hate each other or at least could bear each other's presence uh, is, is not as easy as you think. And my wedding planning was no different all of the past baggage of my family that I thought was way behind me came rushing back and spewed over everything from the wedding seating chart to that of who was going to be acknowledged during the reception. My dad, who, had, who I had not seen since I was about 12 years old, was, was coming to the wedding, and I was adamant that he not be acknowledged at the wedding because for me, he didn't deserve to be acknowledged. He had no part in how I got to this place in my life, and in many ways, I got to where I was despite 
of his absence in my life. So when he came to the wedding, he sat at the back somewhere, and, and that was that, and, and, and he went back. We did spend some time together before the wedding and after the wedding, and, and it was okay. It's, it's hard to argue against the concept of the sins of our forefathers because we see it happen all around us all the time. Whether it's our parents, our grandparents, or the sins of others that impact us, we are shaped and formed by the history of our ancestors and society. So what does Jesus say about this inherited sin? John chapter 9. Oh, I didn't know I could, I could do that. I could uh, change, change the camera angles with, with a click of a button. But John chapter 9, verse 2 to 5. Let's try that again. There you go. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. What does Jesus say here? Neither of them sinned. His blindness had nothing to do with someone's sin. It was not a punishment for sin or due to some curse that this man was born blind. What was the reason? It happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. And in this case, that work was for Jesus to heal him of his blindness. Not only does Jesus lift the physical, physical blindness of this man, he helps him see that Jesus is the Messiah. If you look at the book of John, Jesus is referred to as the light of the world. And here he again states that he is the light of the world. After stating this, he uses mud to heal this man of his blindness. Just like in the story of creation, Jesus is the one who brings light to the darkness. Jesus is the one who does something new in the midst of chaos. The question isn't about who sinned, but rather in the midst of the chaos of our lives, including our family of origin and our past, how is Jesus bringing light to the darkness? How is Jesus making something new out of the chaos? That is the question. As I mentioned earlier, we got this idea of inherited sin or original sin from Augustine. Yet, is this concept of inherited sin something that is biblical or is it something from God or is it something that we've kind of... Um, inherited ourselves. If you look at the verse from Exodus, you can make that argument, right? God will punish to the third and fourth generation. But what about what God says right after that? Exodus 20. Again, I'm, I'm sending myself away there. I'll let Dale control that. Exodus 20, verse 5 to 6. I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sins of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. 
Listen to what God himself says here. He will show his love to a thousand generations versus three to four generations. We all know a thousand is a lot more than three to four, right? So why do we take literally the three to four generations of punishment, but then do not take literally that he will also show love, his blessing to a thousand generations? This idea that we are cursed and punished for the sins of our parents continue in the time of Ezekiel, which is over 850 years later from this Exodus story. They actually had a proverb during the time of Ezekiel that said something very similar to the sins of our forefathers, Ezekiel 18.2. The parents eat sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. The people of Israel were in exile in Babylon and didn't think that they could do anything about their situation and blame their lot in life on the sins of their forefathers or their parents. Why change or do anything different? I am in this mess because of my parents. And look at what God says in Ezekiel 18.3, so the verse right after. He says, As surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, You will no longer quote this proverb in Israel. For everyone belongs to me, the parent as well as the child, both alike belong to me. The one who sins is the one who will die. God says, stop quoting this proverb in Israel. Stop blaming others for your own actions and know that God is a God who cares for all people. It's not the sins of the forefathers, but your own sins. God seems to say something God actually seems to say something opposite to the principle of inherited sin. And he goes on to say in verse 23, Do I take any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the sovereign Lord? Rather, am I not pleased when they turn from their ways and live? In verse 30, he goes on again, Therefore, you Israelites, I will judge each of you according to your own ways, declares the sovereign Lord. Repent. Turn away from all your offenses, then sin will not be your your downfall. Rid yourselves of all the offenses you have committed and get a new heart and a new spirit. Why will you die, people of Israel? For I take no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the sovereign Lord. Repent and live. God does not take pleasure in the death of anyone, even the wicked sinner. Turn to God and live. Whether or not someone is considered wicked, a sinner before birth, whether or not the parents were good or evil, each of us are called to turn to God and receive his love. This makes sense, doesn't it? If you believe in a loving God who is good, wouldn't he create a world where when you do good things, there are good consequences, and when you do bad things, there are negative consequences? It's like our bodies that react to good nutrition versus bad nutrition. So when God says in Exodus that if you worship idols and hate, um, and hate him, hate God, this will have a negative consequence on, you, on yourself and possibly on your children and your children's children because we are made to worship God. To worship an idol or something else makes us less than who we were meant to be and therefore has negative consequences and even death because we become 
less than who we are and who God made us to be. If the Exodus passage stops just there, it would seem that all of our problems and trouble can be traced back to someone before us. But if we keep reading further, we know that God wants to bless us to a thousand generations. God says, do I take pleasure in death of the wicked? No, he doesn't. But do you know what he does take pleasure in and delight in? In blessing us to the point of over a thousand generations. We are not cursed. We are blessed. Do you believe that about yourself, about your past, about your family? You are not cursed. You are blessed. Because not only do we need only one of our ancestors to have followed God to receive a, the blessing to a, a thousand generations, but because of Jesus who obeyed God to the cross, we are now called blessed forever. Have you ever looked at Jesus' family and his lineage? His birth itself was pretty suspect, right? Out of wedlock. That would be like a no-no even in our church right now, right? It's like, oh, out of wedlock, right? Married to a carpenter, you know, so really a nobody. Town of Nazareth, which was really nowhere. Then the lineage of Jesus, Judah and Tamar. Uh, Tamar, who had to pretend to be a prostitute because Judah would not do his duty to marry her. Rahab, the prostitute. David and Uriah's wife, Bathsheba. It's interesting in the lineage that Matthew explains, he doesn't actually say Bathsheba's name. He says Uriah's wife. Why? Because it's not actually Bathsheba who was in the wrong here, right? It's, It's David. David, you know? And Uriah's wife, you know David, the one that killed Uriah in order to take Bathsheba? That David. You know, the one that we say was a man after God's own heart? The one that murdered and killed, and, which is the same thing, and, um, and also uh, committed adultery. So Jesus' lineage had it all. Murder, affairs, prostitutes, and so on. Full of sinfulness and brokenness generational trauma, yet Jesus himself lived a life without sin, showed us the way of living that was through death, and took on the curse of sin so that we can be free to be who God called us to be, to be his children. We enter into his family. In some sense, you could even argue that the curse of our ancestors do not pass down to us anymore because we are now part of God's family. We are the children of God. We do not live under the curse anymore because of Jesus. Henry Nouwen says this, is, this idea is the precondition for us to face our brokenness. We are to put our brokenness under the blessing of God. If we continue to live with the thought that we are cursed, that what is happening to us is because we are sinners, or it's because we are people who live under generational sin, then every pain, rejection, sickness, and death becomes a way of affirming for ourselves how cursed we are. See, this is happening to me because I am such a sinner. This is happening to me because of my past, because, so, because I'm so broken. 
But if we put it under the blessing of God, that is, we, when we invite Jesus into our past, into our brokenness, into our sinfulness, and we let God heal us and make things new out of the chaos of our lives and of our past, and if we believe that God is for us and not against us, that he's, he's, he's just ready to bless us and not to punish, that, punish us, then those things that are in our lives, the brokenness, the pain, the, the, the suffering, those things can become an opportunity for God to purify and deepen the blessing that rests upon us. And this isn't some positive thinking, class half full stuff. It's, it's letting the living God enter into our past, into our lives, into our pain, into the darkness, so that he can heal us, free us, and make us new. It doesn't mean that necessarily our situation will change or our suffering will go away or will be any less, but that what we do is we give room so that the works of God may be revealed in our lives. Now, now and Henry Nowen goes on to say that the greatest, the great call of the beloved children of God is to pull our brokenness away from the shadow of the curse and to put it under the light of the blessing. Isn't this what Jesus does for the blind man? Jesus, the light of the world, brings the blind, blind man out of the darkness and gives him sight. You can run, but you can't hide. I thought that not having a dad in my life was, wasn't a big deal. I put this part of my life in a box, left it behind me, thought it was dealt with. But unlike the unclaimed baggage left at the airport, my past was never something that I could bury or put aside. It was something that I had to face and deal with. Five years after my, my wedding, my brother was getting married and my dad came again. I think by this time I was ready to forgive him for leaving us. We spent time together, in the, enjoyed my brother's wedding, and I drove him to the airport. And it was at the airport over a meal, I confronted him and, about what he did and told him that I had forgiven him, that he didn't need to feel guilty anymore. And, and, um, and he said sorry. Um, almost 20 years after he, he had left, it came full circle at an airport. That emotional baggage that I had been carrying or have left in the unclaimed section was now more fully embraced. It was not my baggage anymore, but rather it was the very way in which I am able to be a good father. So we cannot let live life letting our past, our sinfulness, or the things we are ashamed of as something that reaffirms our cursedness. But rather, we need to let Jesus redeem those experiences and places. Put it under the blessing of Jesus, who himself bore the curse of sin on the cross, who died the death of a criminal and calls all things redeemable. If God can redeem the most gruesome form of execution that human beings have ever thought of, how much more can God redeem and bring light to our own brokenness? The more we can face our past sins, past and, our, and the sins of our forefathers and family, 
the, the more we can let Jesus in and have him lead us. Did you ever wonder what ever happened with unclaimed baggage? There's a company called Unclaimed Baggage that has been around for 70 years selling these unclaimed baggage. Baggage is baggage. On the website, they explain the process, and it's only after the airline has reached out to the owners for about three months that they can now sell it to other people. And within their website, they have a section called Reclaimed for Good, which is a way for, of them also giving some of this claimed baggage that they can't sell um, to others as a way to, to redeem it. And I really like that phrase, reclaimed for good. Because our baggage that we carry with us, that our baggage that we try to unclaim, can be claimed for good. Jesus invites us and is waiting for us to let him into our past, into our unclaimed baggage, so that he can reclaim it for good. Ten years after my brother's wedding, uh, we went back to Korea for the first time after of over 30 years. And I spent a month, month there with my family and spent a good chunk of that time with my dad. And I remember one of the nights him and I met to have dinner again, you know, over, over one of my favorite Korean dish and over some, some drinks. And it was good to eat together, to get to know each other better, to learn about each other, who we were. And, and in many ways, he was still holding on to his own guilt of, of what he did. And so I, I, you know, I encouraged him to let it go. Be, let it go because really I am who I am because of those things. And those things have been redeemed and reclaimed for good. And so he himself can also move on. To, to not let that be a baggage, but part, just part of his story with God. As you can tell, none of this happened overnight, so there is no quick fix to your baggage. And for many of us, I think, it's important to be aware of that and to say that we need help. And there is nothing wrong, I want to say it, there is nothing wrong with you getting professional help. You're not a less of a Christian. You're not less spiritual. You're not, you know, you're, you're not weak to go see a professional. Rather, I think it says that you are strong, that you can face it, that you, you are able to say that you need someone else's help is actually more strength than weakness. So, so I encourage you that if, if, there's, if this um, talk and just, just even our study is bringing anything up, consider speaking to someone that you trust or a professional about it and, and obviously to let, let God into, into it. So, so what is your baggage? What is the thing that lies beneath that God needs to enter into? You are not cursed. You are blessed. Your past is not cursed. Your family isn't cursed. God wants and delights to bless you. I want to invite you to some time of prayer. 
letting God into uh, some of these places in your life. And after a few moments of silence, I'll pray, then we will sing a song together. And I, I pray that the that, that song may be an affirmation that in Christ you are the beloved sons and daughters of God. And accept the truth that you are not cursed, but are blessed. Father, thank you for, for Jesus. Thank you for entering into the mess of this world, into our lives. And that you bring light from darkness, that you make order out of chaos, that you bring good out of evil. So we take a moment now to, to let you in to our mess, to our brokenness, to the things that are beyond our control, our past, our, our family's past, whatever it may be. We want to give you space, Jesus, to, to enter in. Jesus, we, we praise you and thank you that you are the light of the world. Not only are you the light of the world, you are the light in our world, in my world, in my past, in my brokenness, in my darkness, in the suffering, in the pain, in the areas that I still don't want you to shine a light in, that you are that light, that you want to bless us so much yet we tell ourselves that we're cursed that we don't deserve it that we're not good enough I pray that you would give us the courage and give us the faith to believe but to also take that step of of accepting in faith that you care for us that you love us that you are for us and not against us. Amen.